So I actually like lent money to my friend who was investing in FNOs, right? Uh, futures and options, which are the riskiest, like even like most, the most riskiest, like hardly anything. So I, I didn't lend a lot of money. And the friend promised really good returns, uh, too good to be true returns. And I was like, it's okay, let's try it out. And they delivered returns for some time and then they were bust. And I uh, like, obviously, I lost that money. Right? Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their life. Join this mission at myworstinvestmentever.com by taking the risk reduction quiz I created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. It's time you start building wealth the easy way, by reducing risk. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Ajinkya Kulkarni. Ajinkya, are you ready to join our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their life? Yeah, yeah, Andrew, I'm very excited. Thanks, thanks for having me on this podcast. Yeah, it's great to have you on, and I just want to introduce you to the audience. Ajinkya is the co-founder and CEO of Wint Wealth. His company offers high net worth individuals and retail investors asset-backed fixed income products that provide higher returns than fixed bank deposits. Wow. Take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life and what you're doing with that business. Sure. So I'll probably start with my own story and then what led to starting Windwith and what are we actually doing. So I'll just uh, talk about it in a couple of minutes. So I graduated in 2012 and then joined my father's family business. I was there for a couple of years, didn't enjoy it much. Started my first startup, didn't work out well. Uh, it got acquired, I moved on. When I worked at two startups, I was essentially working in fintech lending and that, and then I started Windwith. So idea of Windwealth was like what we figured out in general, yeah, retail investors in India, like they only have broad, like if you, if they are looking to invest in the market, there are only broadly two options. One is FD and one is equity. So FD is your fixed deposit, bank deposit and equity is your stock market. right? And there is nothing in between that. There is this big white space in between. And most of the equity is not for all. People don't like that volatility. People don't like that kind of risk. So they settle for FD. Right. So, and they like India has about two trillion of FD money in bank deposits, right? Two trillion dollars, which is massive. Yeah, and and like people know FD is, is not probably a rational choice. It gives you negative real return after inflation, right? It's not tax efficient, but still people go for it because lack of choice, lack of education, right? And so uh, we realized there is this white, big white space in between, something that gives you higher than FD return, but is not market related. So it is not that volatile. It is if the market crashes, the investment is safe, right? It is not market, it's not at the whims and fancies of the market. Right. So that was the idea saying like and what we also because I was working in fintech industry, what we knew is there are these assets available, but they are only available for like institutional investors or on really ultra rich people, right? The ticket size was really, really high about hundred K dollars or something, right? Yeah. About 50 60 lakhs and we gotten it down to about 150 like 100 dollar 150 dollar right? 
and that's what that's what we are basically doing is basically bite sizing those large investment opportunities and making making it available for retail investor in small ticket size so that's what so, we do so are you somewhat of a marketplace where you're bringing companies that want to borrow money that they have yes. the assets to back that and you're bringing maybe investors who want to invest and then you're providing the additional service of providing fractional or smaller ability to, to get into that. Yeah, absolutely. And when the companies are coming to you, what is the type of asset that they need to back it with? What's the type of collateral that they're providing? Yeah, sure. So currently we like we have different kind of structures, but we mainly work with currently with non-banking financial companies who are given this small retail loans. So these are collateral backed loans. So borrow some borrower has actually pledged property or a vehicle or gold, which is very common in India, and taken out loans. So these are all collateral backed loans, right? And okay. This is the pool of loan that we basically use as a security. And then are you are you then taking this pool of loans of many companies and slicing it? Or are you saying, okay, we're matching one of our customers to one of our borrowers, you know, one of the people that want to invest or how, how are you doing that? Is it like peer to peer type or is it just you get access to a, you know, a, a basket? It's not actually peer to peer. So it's not one on one. You get access to basket. That basket is currently a pool of borrower of one company. But eventually, we are now looking at structures where you will, if you, let's say, put down $150 or 10,000 rupees, you will get access to, let's say, 10 companies and eventually thousands of borrowers underlying. So that is, it is very well fragmented, very well granular, very well diversified. And you mentioned that the companies are, that, that these instruments are not trading in the market so that they're not highly volatile or something like that. Is that a requirement? Like it has to be a specific it has to not be trading out in the market or how does it work no no they will be so we actually get these securities listed on stock exchange so okay. it's super easy for people to purchase right the thing is equity like is at the whims of the market right if us something happens let's say us cut back this quantity easing right in us it has impacts if if i withdraws money from indian stock market the like market might go down right and your investment then like let's say it's like imagine this your your salary is basically benchmarked to market. If market crashes by 10, 10%, your salary goes down by 10. That kind of uneasy feeling is what people don't want, right? With, okay. With so I see. Obviously, you... people want to take some risk and want that volatility, but not for this whole, whole portion of their uh, wealth. Got it. So you're just saying that you're getting people, you know, if, if people put money into a bank deposit, there's no movement at all. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, in the case of getting access to lending to companies, there's a little bit of movement, but it's nothing like equity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There, is, there is obviously a little bit higher risk also, right? So, yep. And we try to mitigate those risks, reduce risk, but the risk still is there, and we educate customers about that risk. So, and if they are okay with that risk, this seems this becomes like a very viable, like very attractive option. And one of the anomalies about India in Asia is that the bank deposit rates or let's say the central bank's rates are very high. What is the typical deposit rate in a bank that one of your customers would be earning right now before they then come to you? Yeah, no, I mean, that is also as India is, you know, maturing as a market, that is also going down. Currently, 
fixed deposit rates are about five five and half percent. Got it. Uh, Seems high compared to U.S. market, but this has been historical lowest in India. So, uh, exactly, and I see the you know the risk free rate in India is you know six or seven or you know eight percent or something along those lines, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah, but now it, the, if you look at government securities, which are essentially risk-free, three years they will be trading at about five percent. Five percent, okay. And when they, when someone invests in, they take some of their money out of a deposit. Now, uh, bank deposits are guaranteed in India. Yeah, up to five lakh, they are guaranteed by government. Up so to a certain it, level. Yeah. Right. Okay. So then they're going to take their money out of a guaranteed, you know, investment, and they're going to move it into yours, and they're going to say, I'm going to do this because I'm going to pick up some yield and, you know, I like the, to be a, a lender in this case. What would be the average return that they would get? Or it, do you bucket them based upon their risk? Or how do you handle that? Yeah, most of the assets on our platform, they give 9 to 11% return. So uh, average, let's say, would be uh, in the range of 10%. So it will be about 4% higher than FD. So it's a great pickup. Now, when you look at the equity market, you, you could have earned a higher return in the equity market over the last few years, but you would have been riding a roller coaster. And who knows whether the next year equity market crashes by X. So it's a pretty, pretty good deal. That's exciting. It's great to get to know, you know what you're doing. And I think it's, it's a really fantastic story. One last question. Where are you in the development of this business? Is this, you know, what stage are you at? What's like, and, you know, that type of, just so I understand that. Yeah, we, we launched this in last December, right? So about six, and we recently crossed 100 crore of AUM. So uh, like that's kind of any milestone for any wealth business. So about six, 7,000 investors. So we crossed that milestone in about eight months. Fantastic. Well, that's a great background on your company and getting to know what you're doing. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So I actually like lent money to my friend who was investing in FNOs, right? uh, futures and options, which are the riskiest, like even like most, the most riskiest, like hardly anything. So I, I didn't lend a lot of money and the friend promised really good returns, uh, too good to be true returns. And I was like, it's okay, let's try it out. And they delivered return for some time and then they were bust. And I like, obviously, I lost that money. Right? So that, that kind of turned out to be a worst investment. But looking back, it seemed like it had to be a bad worst investment. I mean, there was no possibility that it could have sustained and given me money. Right? What type and of returns was it? At that point of time. What type of returns was, were you being seduced by? Yeah, I was promised about 8-9% per month fixed return. Per so, month? Per month, yeah. And he delivered that for the first few months or the first 12 mm -hmm. months? or I got that return for about one and a half year, which is, which is still surprising. Looking back, I think, how did they even deliver it? And how was he delivering that? Was it, you know, that obviously we have, we have Ponzi schemes where people are raising money from some people and paying it to another, right? But this was a case where he was actually investing. Yeah, he was investing in FNO. I'm not sure whether it was a Ponzi scheme also because it could have been a Ponzi scheme where they, like, I actually wasn't, like, at least it was not a multi-level marketing kind of scheme. Mm. So I didn't have to onboard two more investors per se. So I didn't know whether it was a Ponzi scheme or not, but I got that return for some time. But as greed persists, I mean, I actually reinvested that money. So, 
right so uh, it's a small sum like didn't didn't pinch much but then it still turned out to be a worse thing i know in fact i'm very surprised that it lasted for so long like yeah that's pretty amazing so did you leave if if you went into it with 100 you know or whatever when you left it did you lose all the money that you yeah. gave to him 100% yeah. yeah so you just had a lot of fun for a, a year or yeah. so and then after that you just lost it all So tell me what lessons did you learn from this experience? A uh, couple of things. One is you should focus on process. Like only thing I would like looking back is I should focus on investment process rather than the result. Like there is nothing wrong in lending money to a friend even for FNO, but I should have studied FNO, got sense of the risk and returns and then I should have made that decision. I could have still chosen to lend let's say 100 or 50 or 10 or I should have I would have chosen not to give money at all. I mean, I don't consider it bad investment because it turned out bad. Even if it gave me money, it was still a very bad investment because the process. So I, I now focus a lot, and I, I tell everyone is to make sure that investment is a long game. So you have to be focused on the process, of educating yourself with the risk return, and then make an informed choice. Um, I'm just taking notes of something that you just said. I thought it's very fascinating. Maybe I'll I'll share a couple of things that I took away. You know, you're making me think of that book, Thinking in Bets, which is called by I think Anne Duke, but she talks yeah, about it's it. One of my most favorite books. Yeah, with the idea, because you said something. I don't think it was bad because it lost money. I think yeah. it was bad because of the process that I went through in doing it. Resulting error, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And so, for the listeners out there, you know what that means is that. particularly with investing you know there's a huge amount of randomness in investing and so people could be successful for many just random times and also they could be failing only because of random outcomes so it's a little bit like you know gambling and i think she talks about gambling and all that but the point is is that when you're gambling or you're dealing with something that has a certain level of volatility and a certain level of randomness underlying that process you know you're going to have bad outcomes that were not due to bad skill but were actually just due to luck and that's the reason why it's important to just keep focusing on improving that process not saying oh my god i lost in my first investment you know 50 bucks or whatever that could have just been random and in the world of finance we also call that false discoveries where you think you found somebody or something that is outperforming the market let's say but in fact it's only outperforming because of randomness absolutely yeah it's a great lesson i i know uh, also nasim taleb's book fool by randomness is also another great one on that and then i learned a lot about randomness from dr w edwards deming the father of the quality movement who was a real statistician and i studied with him and i learned a lot about it and it helped me definitely as i you know manage my career because what i've kind of learned is that randomness underlies everything Absolutely. and when you understand that randomness underlies everything you start to question you know for instance as a company you may have given bonuses to some people and not to others and it's very comforting to think that we fairly did that and we rewarded the people who had positive outcomes because of the right effort and hard effort but there's a certain amount of randomness in the outcome and therefore we're rewarding randomness and punishing randomness 
which Dr. Deming taught was just a wasted effort. But how do you separate randomness from skill and hard work and all that? It's another story. All right, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? No, I think the lesson has been clear. Like, focus on the process. And if you do it long enough, if your process is right, you can be unlucky once, you can be unlucky twice, but you cannot be unlucky forever. You have to keep hitting at it and improving your process, improving your craft and skill. Right. So I, I did my first startup. It didn't work out, but that was like that was obviously my bad skill plus bad luck. But uh, then I came back at it and now building another startup. So you have to keep at it and keep focusing on the process. It's a long game. Great advice. So what's one free or paid resource you've created or have used that could benefit our listeners? Sure. So I mean, the product we have created is for retail investors. It was something that wasn't uh, that wasn't accessible for retail investors before. And we are making it accessible through windwell.com. So do check out windwell.com. Another just, is... Yep, go ahead. Yeah. So windwell.com is something. Uh, and we have got huge traction. We have about 6,000 investors, 50,000 plus investors in Wittlist wanting to invest in those assets. And I, about, I also write about personal finance in general about, on LinkedIn almost daily. I was also recognized as LinkedIn top voice last year. So if you are based out of India, that kind of content will be very helpful for you to manage your business. That's a great, you know, free resource, ladies and gentlemen. You can just go to his LinkedIn profile, which we'll have in the show notes. And if you're on his profile, as I am now, two hours ago, he released day 22, what is equity and why invest in it? Suppose you and your friend start a business together, you own 60% and your friend owns 40. Now he's got a great, you know, you've got great write-ups and great descriptions of things that are fun and easy to learn. So that's also a fantastic free resource. Last question. Sure. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? I think growing wind wealth is one goal that we are clearly set out to, right? And delivering that kick-ass customer experience. What we deliberately decided not to keep any number target because then in investment business, it's very easy to get trickle down of selling selling those products so we rather want to invest like we we rather we like uh, one of the motors that we have is like we're here to educate and not sell so when we bring these assets our job is to educate customers and let them make choice and our job is not to sell those assets to so uh, we want to educate one million customers in next one right so that's the goal how I many of them invest is actually dependent on them not us and how much investment that turns out to be is not something that we will measure activity. That's such a great idea. And going back to my original teacher, Dr. W. Edwards Deming, he talked about, you know, as soon as you put numbers on things, you ruin it. You incentivize certain yes. behavior and there's no way that people can not game the system, manipulate the numbers. They're just going to do it. And then you take away the joy of work and the joy of really bringing something big out to the world. And we've also seen it in this current pandemic. When you measure certain numbers every day and they're on fire, these numbers are published everywhere and people are seeing them guaranteed. There's a huge amount of manipulation that's going on under the scenes because everybody is incentivized in different ways. So I really commend you for doing that. And for the listeners out there, you know, go to, go to wintwealth.com and learn more. I've got the link in the show notes and then you know, follow a company too that is doing it a little differently. I like that. Well, 
Listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Join our mission and start building wealth the easy way by reducing your risk. Start by going to myworstinvestmentever.com and take the risk reduction quiz. As we conclude, Ajinkya, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A-Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, like ultimately it's like in, in, in terms of building wealth, what is most important is also getting like to be very self-aware, right? So in fact, one of the Harvard studies said, because equities give so much return in long term, you are good if you just leverage it twice. So that means you put your 30, 33 rupees and you just borrow 66 rupees. Even if you go bankrupt, you'll still make a lot, lot more money in long term. But whether you will do it as a person is, is obviously very difficult, right? So what is more important is what suits you. At the end, investment is emotional thing, right? So get in touch with emotions and do what's right for you. Like all these advice actually builds context. The choice mm. you have to make and you have to live with it. So that having that self-awareness is is very important. I see a lot of people go by, somebody told me this, so I did this. But that might be the right thing for the other person, may not be right for you. So having that self-awareness is very, very crucial in investment. Great advice, ladies and gentlemen. Self-awareness. Develop it. And you don't have to compare yourself to others. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is about one guest, one story, one mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, saying, I'll see you on the upside.